be here this morning. I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands, and uh, we're going to be in the Gospels this morning as we continue uh, our series that we have talked about all summer long called Follow Me. Now, Jeremy, I think, wanted to leave some of the best for last and wanted to give me one of the inevitable jobs of not dealing with Peter, James, and John, not Matthew, not even Thomas, but Judas. I get Judas Iscariot this morning. I get the traitor. I get the betrayer. I get the one that nobody wants to talk about. And yet, I think there's great truth that we can learn uh, from this man's life and story. But before we do, can I just pray for us again? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this opportunity to be in this place, uh, to sing of your praise, to lift up prayers, knowing we are dependent upon you. Lord, I thank you for the Indian Creek campus. I thank you for what you are doing in this community. I thank you uh, for the people here. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jeremy and Bree as they uh, continue in this time of sabbatical, of rest and refreshment. I pray that you would bless them in immeasurable ways. And I pray that you'd bless this community. Uh, that through our outreach and through the opportunities you give, we might see a great many people come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, as we open your word, we are uh, surrounded by darkness and, and difficulty. As we look at the life of Judas, we have tons of questions wondering how could he, why would he? And yet, Lord, I pray that this would serve as a great reminder and even an examination and evaluation of our own hearts. Lord, I do not want to take away one ounce of assurance in any of your children's lives here but Lord, I know as I've studied this man, as I've studied these Gospels, uh, of how prone I am to wander, how prone I am to betray you, to leave you, to walk away from you. And by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that we would remain faithful and true, and that you would empower us to do it. So use this, Lord, as a time of examination, even of my own heart, that I might serve and honor you in a way that is uh, upright and will bring great glory to you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen. What is it about bad guys that get us kind of all excited? I mean, in the movies, we love the bad guys, whether it's Darth Vader from Star Wars. I remember in the third grade being uh, introduced to Darth Vader, that voice and that suit. Man, I was scared for days after experiencing my first encounter with Darth Vader. But it wasn't just my generation. We go back to Norman Bates from the Alfred Hitchcock uh, show or movie Psycho, where he teetered the line of sanity and insanity, madness and, and goodness. And then others I, I thought of, the Joker from Batman, who's been around for generations in different iterations of him. That clown-like feature, those sinister ideas and thoughts a bad guy who was made to look like he was all about fun and games. Then in this new generation for our younger people, Thanos is uh, the new guy. He's the new bad guy. He's the ultimate villain in the Marvel series. Uh, my boys love to talk about the villainous acts of Thanos and what is he going to do in the next installment? How will he destroy the world? 
But again, it's not generational because we go back to the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz and kids in that generation were scared to death of her green-like features, the flying monkeys, the evil laugh. There's something about bad guys and bad girls that we are enchanted by. Even in the writing of Tolkien, Sauron, the all-seeing eye, and his desire to destroy and have dominion over Middle-earth is something that has filled the pages of Tolkien fans for days and days. What is it about bad people that we are enchanted by? What is it about bad people that we want to know more about them? Even a new set of series of Netflix, they've started talking about serial killers. What would possess us to want to know about the worst of the people that are ever created? What is it about bad people that we like to encounter and explore? Is it that maybe we wonder, is there a part of us? A part of us that could be that way? Could it be that we wonder in these moments... Maybe what would it take for me to get there? Do we wonder in that moment if I gave into this temptation, if I gave into this sin, uh, maybe I would be on the path to that kind of sinister life? Maybe we begin to wonder and ask, where was mom? in these people's lives where was dad where was the church community where was a good mentor at well all those questions come up this morning as we explore judas iscariot he's one of the 12 and what we're going to learn about him today is that we can see into our lives as we explore his life i want to give you three points this morning and they're pretty simple points and they're things that we need to think through as we look to the life of Judas under this heading follow me and what we're going to learn is we have learned from each of the disciples that there's much we can follow them in there's much from Peter James John Andrew and even the lesser known disciples even in times of distrust or or untrusting moments where they failed we can learn so much about us but when it comes to Judas what can we learn when it comes to Judas, his acts are so sinister. His works are so notorious. What are we to do with him? What is there to emulate? What is uh, there to follow in his footsteps and honor the Lord in? Well, there's a couple of things we're going to learn from his life that I think are of great importance. Write this down. Number one, as with Judas, we are going to learn we have been given a great opportunity. We've been given a great opportunity. So here we explore this man. This man who doesn't have a lot of good things to be said. In fact, John MacArthur wrote this about uh, the man Judas. He says the following about him. He is the most colossal failure, the most wicked monster in human history. He committed the most horrible acts ever, betraying the perfect, sinless, holy son of God for some money. His dark story is the most poignant example of what the human heart is capable of doing. Three years with Jesus Christ, all that time, and his heart was growing harder and harder and more hateful and more hateful all the time. All of that being said about this man Judas, and this truth can be made. Number one, he was given a great opportunity. 
Now that is the first connection we have with Judas this morning. Like Judas, you and I have been given a great opportunity. Well, what was that opportunity? We're going to see it in the Gospels over and over again, but we're going to see that he was given an opportunity to follow Jesus. Now let's understand a little bit about this Judas. Who is he? Where did he come from? What is he all about? Let's learn about this opportunity he was given. Let's start with his name, Judas. Judas literally means praise. It means praise. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why his parents would name him this. One thought by one commentary was that when Judas was born, maybe it came as a result of infertility. Maybe it came as a result of a long, drawn-out trying to have a child. And when Judas is born, mom and dad say, praise, praise God. A miracle has taken place. But one of the things that this word shares, praise, is about seeing something in the original Hebrew, seeing something and exclaiming about its beauty. In fact, we would use the, the root word Judas when we're at the Grand Canyon. When we would stand at the vista of the Grand Canyon, we would announce, wow, that's what this Hebrew word Judas meant. You're seeing something and it is so beautiful, so magnificent that it's praiseworthy. One of the commentaries that I read said that many ancient scholars thought that it spoke to Judas's appearance, that Judas was such a beautiful baby that mom and dad, when they saw Judas, could only utter the words, wow. I've only heard that happen one other time. That was with my mom and dad when they first saw me. Not, not so true, but, but maybe he was beautiful. We don't know what it is, but then there's this second name that is given to him, Judas Iscariot. In fact, almost every time you see Judas's name come up, you're going to see a disclaimer or a description next to it. Either Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, or Judas Iscariot. Now, we say these names, and so often we have no idea what these names mean. What Iscariot means is man from Kerioth. Man from Kerioth. So I live in the town of Hinckley. I would be Tim Hinckley. You might be uh, Bill from Shabana. Bill Shabana would be your name, Bill Griffith. And we could put our names in those places. He was Judas from Kerioth, Iscariot, from Iscariot, the land, the province of Kerioth. Now that helps us with something. I want to put up a map for you because what we're going to see in this map is something of a great importance. Now there's the map of modern day Israel. We've got a beginning point and an ending point. The beginning point I want to start out is down at the bottom where the word Israel is labeled on the map. That's Kerioth. That is southern Israel. Now you say, why is that so important? Because the ending point of the map, way up at the Sea of Galilee, way up near the city of Capernaum in the northern part of Israel, that's where Jesus is from. In fact, that ending point just to really right where the ending point is, is the city of Nazareth. That's Jesus's hometown and that's where Jesus and the majority if not all of his disciples are from most scholars believe all of the disciples minus Judas came from the area around the Sea of Galilee what you have there is about 140 miles distance 
That's a pretty big distance. That's a long drive even for us today. Uh, that's between, about the distance between us and the, the town of Galena or Dubuque, Iowa. That's a two-hour drive for most of us. But in the first century, that would have been light years away from one another. One commentary said this, could it be that this might have created a bit of distance for Judas and the rest of the disciples? Might he have not been in the in-group? Might he have been uh, not as familiar with the others in the disciple clan, if you will? And as a result of that, his betrayal may have been a little easier. Well, we know this man, Judas. We know he is from Kerioth. We know nothing about his mom or dad. We know nothing about his personality. But we know this. The Bible says over and over again, and we've read these passages where Jesus calls the twelve. In every one of the lists of the twelve disciples, Judas is one of them. Nobody doubts that Judas, with all of his treachery, with all of his betrayal, was not a part of the twelve. What a great opportunity that is. Here he is spending time with the Master. He's spending time uh, in prayer. He's spending time in Bible study. He's spending time with the sweetest of fellowship. He is seeing people healed from sickness. He is seeing people raised from the dead. He is seeing Jesus exercise demons. Judas is a part of the single greatest life of ministry that anyone could have ever been a part of. He was given an opportunity to walk and talk with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this morning I want to remind you today that each of us have that opportunity. Each and, each and every one of us has that opportunity given to us. And here we have, right before our eyes, a man given great opportunity who squandered it. Could it be said of you and I this morning that we too have been given great opportunity to follow Jesus, to walk and talk with Jesus, to see Jesus on the move, only for us in our 70, 80, 90 years of life here on earth to squander that opportunity, to not dig into it, to not live it out for what it is worth, to take it and use it and receive it as the greatest gift ever given to man. Judas reminds us we can be given a great opportunity and we can squander it. Jesus was standing right before Judas and they were miles apart. They were worlds apart. And could it be this morning that someone in this place who says they're in a relationship with Jesus, who talks as if they're in a relationship with Jesus, who longs to have a relationship with Jesus, is squandering that opportunity in a way that we will sorely regret in the days to come. Number two, I want you to see that as we evaluate and look at the life of Judas, he's been given a great opportunity, we have as well, but we must always be evaluating our spiritual reality. I'm going to sit here for a while, and we're going to open uh, the Bible together here, and we're going to see a couple things about, about Judas's life. So we look at Judas, and we see Judas's treachery. We see Judas' betrayal. And what we quickly want to do is we want to judge. How could he? Why would he do these things? 
We want to ask the question, where did he go wrong? What stuff did he get himself into? Why would he do such a thing? But I want us to stop taking our eye, or putting our eyes on him and start looking at ourselves. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to ask the question, could I be playing around in those same waters? Could I be walking those similar steps? Could I be falling into the same temptation? You see, when people sin grievously and publicly, we like to judge them very rarely saying, were it for the grace of God, I would go there as well. So let's look at a couple things this morning that Judas did that I think we do that we need to be corrected from. Number one, write this in your outlines. We need to be careful not to equate doing with being. To not equate doing with being. As a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, given this great opportunity, Judas was around the action. Like I said, he was a part of the greatest small group ever assembled in all of human history. He had the best Bible teacher the world would ever know. He had some of the greatest peers in his discipleship group that a person could ever have. He had the opportunity for the sweetest times of prayer, for the greatest movings of the Holy Spirit. He was a part of the ministry life. And what he began to think was, because I am in the area, because I'm a part of the group that's doing it, I must be spiritual. I must be Christian. I must be an active follower of God. He was equating your relationship with Jesus Christ and just being there and doing the right things. Now, he was active in all the things that was done. He was one of the disciples that went around and handed out food at the feeding of the 5,000. He was one of the disciples who went out two by two to exercise demons and all that. And he began to equate that because I've done these things, I'm in the kingdom of God. But let us be reminded of Matthew chapter 7 who says, there will be a great many on that day, Jesus says, who will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? And he talks and boasts amazing things. Did I not cast out demons in your name? Now we could put different things in there. Did I not help at VBS? Did I not attend church every day? Did I not give to the church? Was I not a member of the church? We can list all those things. And Jesus says, but I never knew you, so depart from me. You see, Jesus wants us to know in the example of Judas that we can do a lot of religious things and be far from God. We can do a lot of religious activity and be far from any kind of relationship with Jesus. And that's where we find Judas this morning, doing a lot of great things, but he never gets close to Jesus. Well, what does he get close to? Turning your Bibles to John chapter 12. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 12. And we're going to see uh, a couple episodes. I'm going to show you a couple episodes of where we learn Judas's heart was at. In fact, Judas could not get close to Jesus because there was something 
getting in the way. And as you're turning to John chapter 12, I want to ask you this question of Judas's life and of our own. What stuff will cause you to sell out Jesus? What could keep Judas from getting close to Jesus after hanging around Jesus for three years, playing his part? What's going to cause Judas to not give his all to Jesus? Look at John chapter 12. The heading in my Bible says, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. Let's read that text together here. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him. Now, that's really important. If you underline or make notes in your Bible, John has shared parenthetically that this is an important moment. And this moment is deeply connected to the betrayal of Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his twelves, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now stop there. This is the first time we hear the words of Judas. Judas enters stage left. He comes in, he's sitting at the table, and he declares after this incredible, expensive act is done, he asks this important question, could we not have used this money in a better way? And then he brings up using it for the poor. What an incredible statement. If you were to think without any thought of Judas before this, if you have no response, if you're not given that parenthetical thing that Judas is the one who's about to betray him, then you would say, Judas, you're right on. It is a great question. It's a question that, that churches have to ask all the time. How do we use our resources best? And it would seem as if, from a human standpoint, that Mary's response her act of worship is in some ways a wasteful one and here's why first century she's going to in many ways shower jesus with this perfume and for the next handful of hours jesus's feet are going to smell good jesus's body is going to smell good everyone who comes around him is going to know about this gift but after hour 12 hour 15 hour 24 hour 36 that perfume is going to wear off. And Judas is asking the question, could we not have done something more effectively? Use this resource in a far better way to win people, if you will, to help people into the kingdom of God. Now, if we stop there, we start thinking, man, this Judas is a pretty great guy. What went wrong? Well, notice what John says. John wants to make sure none of us go there. John wants to make sure before we even start thinking that there is even a, a tinge of wisdom and goodness within Judas. Notice what John says in verse 6. John, uh, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to put what uh, to to help himself to what was put in it. John wants to make it abundantly clear: Judas is an evil man. Judas is not concerned about the poor. Judas is concerned about one thing, and that is money. The reason why Judas could not get close to Jesus wasn't Jesus didn't give the opportunity. The opportunity was put on a platter for him. The reason why Judas could not get close to Jesus was his love for money. It's as if Jesus was speaking to Judas when he said, you can't love God and money. You can't serve both of them. You're going to love one and hate the other. Now this now connects us. Let's stop there in John chapter 12. Let's go to Matthew 26 for a moment. Matthew 26. So if you're in the Gospel of John, go back to your left to the first Gospel, Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, we're going to see verbatim, almost to to the detail, this same thing take place. In Matthew 26... We are going to see, in, uh, starting in verse 6, that something is going to happen. Now, my Bible again says, Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now, it goes like this. This is what Matthew says. Now, when Be- Ju- let me start again. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of a very expensive ointment that she poured on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant and saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing. For you always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare my body for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we get the same episode. Now Matthew says that some of the other disciples got into it and started saying that this was a waste of money as well. John tells us it's Judas who speaks up. Now I want, to shoot, want you to see something that I want you to connect. Notice the next thing that happens in Matthew's gospel is the following. Then, in light of, let's just understand that word then, in light of, because of what has just transpired in Bethany, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know Judas was a lover of money. And what caused Judas to finally say enough with Jesus was Jesus said, money is a resource to be given in worship to me, not to keep for yourself. And Judas says, no. I can't love you, Jesus, and love money at the same time. I love money way more. And so he betrays Jesus And notice, what does he betray Jesus for? Money. And he goes to someone who says, we will pay you money so that you will give us Jesus. He traded Jesus for his greatest desire. What is your greatest desire this morning? Is it money? 
Is it pleasure? Is it possessions? Is it popularity? Is it prestige? Is it your place in life? What is it that you love so much that if Jesus really got in your face about it and said, you got to pick me or it, that you would find yourself picking it time and time again? What thing are you falling to in sin and, and pursuing as, the, God, as uh, the devil tempts you to do so? What is it that you keep saying yes to and no to God? This is the thing that got Judas to betray Jesus. He loved money more than he loved Jesus. Can there be anything in us, in our lives, that we love more than that? Write this down. Here's another lesson I want you to see. Don't mistake God's long-suffering for license. Now remember, we're doing this as an evaluation. What is our spiritual reality? During all this time, Judas is living a lie. And at no point in all of the three and a half years that Judas is with Jesus, does Jesus ever call Judas out. He never says, Judas you've got a problem and we've got to fix it he does it with peter he does it with james and john remember james and john his mom comes and says put one of them on, my, on your right hand the other one at your left james and john who said bring fire down from heaven and jesus rebukes them personally and says listen you've got a problem with peter he says get behind me satan so he rebukes personally many of his disciples but not judas and i wonder if judas is thinking well i've never been called out and jesus must know what i'm doing so either he doesn't care he's too busy or he's okay with me doing these things i've never been called out for some of us this morning we've never been called out personally for our sin and here's one of the reasons why nobody knows we're doing it nobody knows we're partaking in it our spouse doesn't know, our parents don't know, our kids don't know, our boss doesn't know, our pastors and elders don't know. Nobody knows. And as a result of that, we think it's okay. We think it's all right. We think that because of it, Jesus has given some level of, of license. Well, he knows I'm going to struggle, so I'm going to have these issues, and this is going to be my one thing that I have. We're going to all have one thing. This is my one thing that I'm going to have. But I want you to know that a couple different times Jesus preached sermons, especially right on the heels or on the moments preceding the betrayal of Judas, the betrayal by Judas of Jesus, Jesus says two things. I want you to write these down. Number one, he gives the sermon and the illustration of the vine and the branches. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, Jesus preaches a message to the 12, including Judas, and he says, if you're not abiding in me, I'm going to cut you off from the vine, and I'm going to throw you away into the fire. You will be destroyed. Then, on his journey to the garden, as we see, we will see Jesus come upon a fig tree where Jesus looks at the fig tree, sees no fruits, he curses the fig tree, and there it withers and dies right before them. And Jesus tells him to cut it down and to throw it in the fire. Two stories, same results, 
that you'll be thrown into fire, you'll be cast out if you are not bearing fruit. Judas is sitting there listening to this, and it never dawns on him, maybe I should listen. Maybe Jesus is, in fact, talking to me. I'm bearing no fruits. I'm just hanging around for a certain time. I love money more than Jesus, and I'm here. Nobody knows what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. And here Jesus is talking to a small group of people. And he says, listen, if you're not abiding in me, if you're not living connected to me, there will be a day where you'll be cut down and you'll be thrown into the fire. And it never dawns on Judas that it could be him. Brothers and sisters, how many sermons have we listened to where we have talked, where a person like myself is standing before a group of people and we're like, boy, I'm glad the people on the other side of the church are hearing this. I'm glad my kid's here to hear this. I'm glad my husband's here to hear this. I'm glad my wife is here to hear this because they need it. Judas is thinking all manner of things. I'm glad someone's here to hear this, but it isn't me. He thought that Jesus' lack of rebuking him personally meant that he was off the hook and it wasn't the case at all number three look at this regret and repentance are two very different things regret and repentance are two very different things now we see that after betraying jesus judas is going to regret what he does now we don't know why maybe it's that judas like some of the other disciples from afar see what is happening in jesus's life the beatings the floggings the abuse that he's taking and judas it says in fact in matthew 27 if you want to look there in matthew 27 it says then when judas his betrayer saw that jesus was condemned that's probably to death judas changed his mind brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying i have sinned by betraying innocent blood they said what is that to us see to it yourself and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple he departed and he went and he hanged himself for some we'll read that and we'll say hey he fixed it he is the quintessential Scrooge. After a, a myriad of bad decisions, after a lifetime of treachery, he finally gets it. On Christmas Day, Scrooge finally gets it. He learns his lesson. He starts returning things. It must be a rebirth. It must be regeneration that has taken place. But I want you to notice something. Regret is different than repentance. Remorse for our sins is different than repentance that brings us to a Savior. Here's why. Regret and remorse always lead you to isolation. They lead you to shame. But repentance leads you to Jesus. He, it leads you to a Savior. In fact, here's the most important thing that we need to know. Judas's greatest sin was not his betrayal. In fact, look, look at these words here by one writer who says the following, what a mistake of those who do, not hope, who do not hope to make. Judas made a colossal blunder the day he sold Christ for 30 denarii, but he made an even bigger one when he thought his sin was too great to be forgiven. No sin is too big. Any wretchedness, however great, can always be enclosed in infinite mercy 
Judas never goes to Jesus. Judas never goes to the disciples. He never confesses his sin to anyone. He's regretting it. He's returning the money. He's got buyer's remorse, but he does not have repentance. And some of us are greatly sorrowed over our sin, but it's never led us to the feet and to the cross of Jesus. Well, another lesson we're going to see in Judas' life is that pursuing a life of sin instead of the Savior has disastrous results. In Matthew 26, verse 24, Jesus is going to share a word that I know I would never want to hear, that I don't want any human being to ever hear. In Matthew 26, 24, notice what Jesus says. He says the following, The Son of Man, after, let's just start at verse 20, when it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very, very sorrowful and began to say to one another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe, listen to these words, woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born judas who was who would betray him answered is it i rabbi he said to him you have said so man if there's a moment you would really despise a person this is the moment i despise judas judas knows exactly what he's going to do and he's looking in the eyes of jesus and he asks the sanctimonious question is it i he knows it's him and so what is Jesus say Jesus says because you have lived a life for yourself because you've pursued your sin over a savior Jesus utters the most damning words that could be shared to any individual and it's this it would be better that you'd never lived in the first place brothers and sisters I want you to hear this and hear this good if we play games with God in this life and never give our lives to Jesus we will stand before Jesus the great judge the great God of this creation of all that is seen and unseen and we will stand there and in that day we will stand as Judas did and say Jesus look at all that I did and Jesus will say depart from me I never knew you and I'm going to tell you in that moment on that great day when when a person is consigned to hell they will believe the words of Jesus when they say this, it would have been better I never had been born before. Because now I'm consigned to an eternal and everlasting torment, to the weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity, out of the fellowship of God, away from the goodness and grace of God, it would be better that I had never been born before. Judas, this bad guy, has made a disastrous decision that led to disastrous results well one final thing before i get to my final point which is very short by the way is that when we look at the life of judas some theologians and maybe some people here today are saying badal wait a minute you got to address the elephant in the room because what we've got is a bit of a conundrum theologically and here's it 
The Old Testament tells us on three different occasions that Judas, not by name, but clearly by person, one of the 12, would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to the nickel and penny, by the way. And that he would go down as the son of perdition. And Judas plays that part. And right away, we start feeling bad for Judas because we say, Judas didn't have a choice in the matter. Judas did exactly what God wanted him to do. He was the marionette, if you will. The puppet master was playing Judas as the fool, as the betrayer. Prophecy tells us that. But I want you to understand this truth. While we make decisions, God is always in control. I want to show you a passage in Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, we do not see the puppet master at play. We do not see Judas trying to fight against God's will. In fact, it says this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, I want you to notice the possessive action words that go from this point on. This Judas went. It doesn't say he went because he was compelled by God, that he went because he was being coerced by God. He went. Why did he go to the chief priests? In order to betray Jesus to them. And notice what it says later in the text. After being promised to get money, he sought, that word sought there is an ongoing process, not a one-time thing, but an ongoing process for the opportunity to betray Jesus. Yes, it says, and we must believe, that God appointed Judas to betray Jesus. But I do not want you to think that this lets Judas off the hook. Judas did what was natural and right to him. Just as we cannot say when we sin, the devil made me do it, God made me do it. It is us. When we are enticed by our own desires and dragged away, that we sin, the book of James says. We make choices, but we should never think our choices take us out of the control or plans of God. Judas, who was given a great opportunity. Judas, who reminds us to evaluate our spiritual reality. This all demands, if we do not want to live like Judas, if we do not want to follow in the footsteps of Judas, we must follow Jesus with total authenticity to reduce this reality, to get rid of it, to make the most of the opportunity, we need to be authentic. I think the greatest, the greatest sin, or maybe the original sin of Judas wasn't money, it wasn't betrayal, it was that he lived a double life. That is, he lived a private life and a public life. And those two lives never connected. Those two lives were never brought together. He had a church life, if you will. He had his personal life. He had uh, his religious life and he had his secular life. And brothers and sisters, we run the risk as well of creating that false dichotomy. That there's two parts to us. There's a Sunday part and there's a Monday through Saturday part. There's the church Tim and then there's the work Tim. There's the Christian Tim and then there's the Tim when he's with his unbelieving buddies and neighbors and friends. You see, Judas could play the part. He was a play actor. He wore masks. He never allowed anybody to get to know the real him. In fact, 
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the men who were with him for three and a half years, day and night, in the good, the bad, the ugly of life, none of them had an idea he was the one. And I just have got to wonder, as I preach to uh, numbers of people in many different places, surely, maybe even today, I'm speaking to someone who is trying to live that false dichotomy. That false dichotomy that I can fake everyone out. That they won't know of what I'm doing, of what I'm thinking, of how I'm acting. They don't know about this vice. They don't know about this thing because I, I have it so covered. I have it so concealed that even those, maybe even your spouses, though you live in the same house, you share the same bed, they have no idea about it. Jesus says we must follow him. Not as one of the people we play or the parts we play, but with our whole heart. And Judas fails in this. And could it be for some of us today, we might be given into temptation of doing the same thing. So, there are two things I will encourage you with as I close. The two things that I don't believe Judas did. Number one, make confession an active part of your faith. Confessing your sins. Judas, it never shows at any point that Judas confesses sin to Jesus. Make an often practice in your life, Jesus, I have wronged you. The Bible says in 1 John that when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Jesus, listen to me, would have been faithful to forgiven Judas. Had Judas gone to Jesus, said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I betrayed you and that now has you on the cross. Remember, Jesus would have uttered these words, Father, forgive him. For Judas didn't know what he was doing. Ignorant to the fact that his betrayal would cause such upheaval. And yes, ignorant to the fact that God would use his personal sins to bring forth his own redemption. Number two, Make confession a part of your life and make community a part of your life. When you're around other Christians, be authentic with them. Be real with them. When you're with people now, that means there's a level of decorum. I understand it. But do you have someone in your life, people in your life that you can confess and, and share your, your, your concerns, your desires, whether sinful or good, where you can be held accountable where you can receive rebuke. It would seem as if Judas was not living a life of authenticity and it made him ripe for the picking out of the twelve by Satan to betray Jesus. We have much that we can learn from Judas's life. And my hope and my prayer is that as we look at his life, as we examine our own, we will learn what it means to follow Jesus in even greater ways. Let's pray.